0: All right, well, good morning. It is great to see you this morning. And we're, it's here, right? Fall's here. And this week, especially in the life of the church, a lot of things start to happen as we kind of break out of our summer schedule and into uh, a lot of programming. So just be aware, stay current, um, know what's going on. There's a lot of ways to do that. And uh, I'm just expecting a great season this fall and in the winter. My wife loves the theater. I enjoy it most of the time. <laughs> Honestly, growing up, um, things like the Phantom of the Opera, uh, even the Sound of Music, that kind of genre, was something that I spent little to no time paying attention to. Um, then I married Nicole, and and uh, she loves that stuff. She would go to that stuff growing up. There was a little, uh, a little theater production place in, in Parkersburg, and her and her mom would go a lot, just local theater, and loves it. And and I got to be honest, over time as I've lived now life with her, I have I have grown to appreciate it. Um, I've grown to actually enjoy it. And um, I'm pretty I'm pretty game now for going to a, a theater production. I will say the spring though, um, three hours of Jane Eyre was enough to make me walk away for good. Almost. Um, just a heads up. That's not pleasant. But um, I was really trying to figure out a way to get... No, I'm decent. It was awful, though. I, was, I wanted to get my phone out so bad. You can't do that, right? I wanted to do anything, but watch this. But, um, you know, one of the most riveting uh, theater productions, one of the most moving productions out there, is a production called uh, Les Miserables, or... Um, for those of you who don't from come from culture, I guess you can just call it less miserables. <laughs> or those of you that are really uppity, you just say you know lay miz, and everybody knows what you're talking about. But it's one of the most um, riveting theater productions out there. In fact, they've just redone it in the last few years, right? And um, I am captivated by that story. Remember the story? It's built around a couple characters, but in particular, the first one especially is this man named Jean Valjean who spends 19 years imprisoned. It started because he saw his niece starving and he can't help himself, but as he watches her going through this really unbelievably tough circumstance and situation he can't help but go and steal food so that she doesn't starve and he's caught stealing this food and for 19 years because not only is he thrown in prison but he tries to escape a number of times and so his sentence just continues to grow until 19 years he spends in in prison becoming a hardened criminal He is, he is released. And I think in the most pivotal moment of that whole production, maybe even one of the most pivotal moments in all of theater production, is this moment I want you to remember or recapture with me, uh, when he has been released, and he's on his own, and he's trying to find his life now, and yet he has these impulses and he is he's had 19 years of being absolutely conditioned to live a certain way and you remember that night where he's looking for somewhere to stay and he can't find somewhere to stay and he ends up at the at the priest's home and you remember this scene let's just watch it together Listen, this man has hold the truth. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this sub higher plan, you must use this precious silver. It's this moment that literally changes Jean Valjean's life as obviously guilty and obviously looking at spending the rest of his life now in prison as already a convict who now has committed another crime, is is going to spend the rest of his life rotting in a prison, dying in a prison, is introduced to this priest who uh, acts in this way. And in that movie, we are introduced to this concept called grace. Grace. You know, as I'm thinking about this Sunday and I'm entertaining, what should I speak on? It's kind of in between series. It's a solid, it's a lone Sunday. And I just keep being drawn back to, if I have one Sunday just to talk about something isolated or on its own, I want to talk about grace. I've been drawn to this particular verse in John. I just want to share with you this morning. But our world uses the word grace, right? Uh, It's common for us to refer to grace before a meal. We use it in different ways. Uh, We're grateful. We're grateful for someone's kindness, we're gratified by good news, we're congratulated when successful. We're gracious in hosting friends. We leave a gratuity when um, somebody offers a service. Um, we have acts of grace. We have policies of gracing. And we understand it in a very negative context. Also, when we talk about someone who has fall, fallen from grace. Someone who is an ingrate. Someone who is a dis grace, or someone who is persona non grata, a person without grace. It's sprinkled throughout our society, and we kind of grab uh, an idea of what it means, but I would ask this morning, do we really understand it? You see, the grace that the scriptures present to us has a drenching about it, a wildness to it. A white water, rip tide, turn you, turn you upside downness about it. Grace that comes after you, grace that rewires you. The scriptures present this idea, this word of, of grace, and it literally has the ability to turn us from insecure human beings to God secure creations i would say this that you can't understand who a christian is called to be until you understand grace now when i say that i would also say that grace is something that you can't put into a single sentence definition and you seemingly can exhaust it there's no other philosophy or religion that has anything quite like this idea that God takes the initiative, God comes after us, not just to save us, but to also sustain us. Paul can't stop talking about it. Hundreds of times in the New Testament, he talks about this idea of grace. Jesus can't stop modeling it. You know, Jesus never one time used or uttered the word grace that is recorded. Yet, he is absolutely the perfect picture of what it is. It's Titus that reminds us that the grace of God has appeared to all men. It's Paul himself who says, I believe in 1 Corinthians, that I am what I am by the grace of God. It is the central theme of the New Testament. This word that's translated from the Greek word charis to mean favor, blessing, or kindness. It's used in connection with God and it takes a powerful meaning. It is God choosing to bless us rather than curse us as our sin deserves. It is his benevolence to the un. Deserving. It's a little different than mercy. Mercy, I have mercy on someone, in in effect, means I will withhold a punishment that we deserve. And grace has that part to it, but it goes beyond just withholding a punishment. It actually gives a blessing or a favor or a kindness that we at all don't deserve. And it's with this context, just reminding you of, of this word, that it's John who, as he's opening his gospel, would say these words. In John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, for the purposes of this morning, I I am disciplining myself to not talk about grace and truth. That's another sermon. I will simply reference this, though, that often we think of grace and truth as intention. They're intention with one another. Like good cop, bad cop, right? Um, Good parent, Good parent. Good parent, you know, tough parent, truth parent, grace parent. Have you played that before? Come on, guys. You had a grace parent and a truth parent, right? And we think they're in tension with one another, and we play each side to one another, right? And we think of grace and truth as, as um, they are in tension with one another. Listen. The scriptures do not present it that way. Jesus was full of grace and truth. It is not a tension. It is the full measure of grace and the full measure of truth all at the same time. There is no other way to understand Jesus or to understand our lives interacting with grace and truth except for it's all just at the same time. I want to, but you go through the scriptures, the stories of Jesus interacting with people, the woman being accused of adultery. You see this unbelievable, just full measure of grace and truth. It's not in tension with one another, it's in harmony with one another. And he is full of grace and truth. But it's this verse, this verse, that I want you to grab a hold of. It's the whole deal for this morning. If I, and some of you would be okay with this, if I simply just read this verse and let you go, that is exactly what I am. It's just been on my heart this week. This verse grabbed me 10 or 12 years ago, and I can't ever forget it. John chapter one, verse 16. You see, he, became, he was full of grace and truth. 15 talks about John bearing witness to this truth, and it's verse 16 that says this. If you can switch there, uh, Kalen. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. The King James would have worded it this way, grace upon grace. And it actually carries with it the idea that the writer could have just kept saying on this verse, grace Upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. It just keeps going. Grace in place of grace already giving. Grace in place of that grace already given. Grace in place of that. You see what John is trying to help us understand about who God is, what Jesus was all about. It's an unending, never diminishing Supply of grace into our lives it 's not you know what i 've had to lean on God really hard, and i 've really had to uh, you, I really had to uh, have His grace in my life really powerfully right now, and you know what I, I probably need to back off a little bit for a while so I can build that account up a little bit more so that I can go back and access it again and and when I if I allow it to build up then if I need to use some there'll still be some available doesn't that sound like your bank account doesn't that sound like almost a lot of relationships we have where I'm going to Prevail on it for, you know, I really, but I need to back off. So I'm taking a lot and I need to make sure I stop taking so much so that there's, I can give back and it kind of equals out. And then when I need to take it later, I haven't taken. So yeah, it sounds like relationships too at times. I'm telling you, this idea of grace, this word usage here, blows any kind of that kind of concept out of the water. God is a God who is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. You see, the law, verse 17, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that's why I want to just spend a moment reminding you of some things. I want to take you back to Genesis, to the garden, to Genesis chapter one. I want you to think with me for a moment as God creates. Who is this God? What does he do? What is he like? Would you remember with me a God who is gracious beyond compare and beyond imagination as he creates this beautiful world? I guess he could have made it all brown, he could have made it all browns and, and, uh, and grays, right? But in creation, we are already introduced to this God who gives lavishly to his creation. A gracious God, a kind God, a favoring God. Because we already see that when he... When he when he puts this world into, into existence and then he models it and shapes it and forms it and creates it, we see beautiful sunsets, rivers and mountains that take our breath away, trees and plants that that provide so much enjoyment and beauty and color and grace to our world that we understand. You see, you are introduced to a God already who is lavishing kindness and favor toward his creation in Genesis chapter one. I mean, he's he's just a gracious God. He's a God who creates us and then he also creates this beautiful world for us to enjoy in, in the early account. Animals and fruits and all this. I would actually have you remember that in all of that that he favored us with, his requirements were, were minimal. One thing, one thing. I would remind you that God we're introduced to, the God who is, is a God whose expressions of grace are innumerable and whose requirements are Minimal. One thing, all that's there, all that's created, all that's there to enjoy. I mean, he has lavished Adam and Eve with unbelievable beauty and enjoyment, fulfillment. You see, I want to just remind you that, that the upside down idea of who God is has been created by our world around us, our fallen nature, But the scriptures represent to us a God who's gracious, who's lavish, who's not a God of rules and requirements. And it's one thing in the midst of all this lavishness, right? His expressions of grace are innumerable. His requirements are minimal. And I would tell you that this theme starts in creation Where grace, God's grace, his kindness, his favor, his blessing to us is never just enough. It is always far more than enough. That's the God of scripture. The God who, when we do gravitate toward that one thing, and we do that one thing, when we had absolutely no reason to do that one thing, He's already in Genesis chapter 3 giving us a promise, giving us hope, lavishing us with the promises of grace, of restoration. He's already providing a system, whereas he can, he, because of his holiness, his justice, his fairness, his character, that in the face of this sin, instead of us taking this punishment, he's already, he's already creating an, an avenue, a way as he's, he's shedding blood of animals for us and providing a way, a gracious way of offering to us. I want to remind you that as the world became broken and fallen and, and so sinful, in fact, it was so sinful that God said, I don't even recognize what I created. I want to start over. In fact, or I'm just going to end this thing. And remember, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you remember that whole story. And you remember that as he is uh, developing and working this plan to be gracious to us, that he approaches this man. God approaches a man named Abraham and makes a promise. To God makes a promise. You see how gracious God is? It's him acting. It's him moving. It's him saying, Abraham, I'm gonna do this. And in fact, all he asked of Abraham was to trust him. And the scriptures, this is a whole theme that can be so developed but in essence, God tells us that the heart of our relationship with him, at the heart of what grace is all about, is us simply being willing to trust in the goodness, in the ability, in the plan, and the power of God. That's, he says, Abraham, you've trusted me and you are righteous. I would remind you that long before the law was given through Moses, long before the law, and that's how people all around us, and maybe you, equate God with commandments and requirements and rules, long before all of that came into play, God bring has, has always been about one simple thing, and that is trusting him, resting in him allowing yourself to say, you know what? I don't have it. He does, and I'm gonna trust in him. And Abraham was actually the father of what this is all about. He is what we all want to be, righteous, connected with God without any commandments, without any rules, without any regulations because at the heart of who God is and what grace is all about and how he's always acted toward us is this simply, this simple fact. I will do everything. I will favor you with everything. I will give you every opportunity. Are you willing to simply trust in me? Abraham did that trusted so much that it caused him to believe that whatever God said was true and he just followed after that and he was righteous. You see, because so often we think of grace and law and we think they are, they're in tension with one another and we've so focused on God because he gave a bunch of laws and regulation and then man took those laws and regulations and they just, it was like they were shot with steroids. It was like they, and they just, until Jesus came into this earth, there's 613 laws that people are following just to be righteous, accepted, connected to God and God is always, and like, that's why he had such a problem with the religious leaders because it ripped out the heart of who he's always been about and that is God graciously providing, God graciously giving, God graciously initiating what we need and calling us to trust and hope and rest in him and him alone. It's Romans four sixteen is a verse that uh, really grabbed my, my, grabbed my attention years ago when he said this about Abraham, 4.16. Therefore, the promise came by faith so that it may be by grace. You know, those are the words that we are introduced to in, the, in, the, in Ephesians. You see, the message has, not, has never been clear. The solution to our sin is, Has never been rule keeping. If that had been, God would have become the cleanup process with a list. But He began with a promise and a simple request to trust Him in Abraham. You see, we live in this idea that obedience gets you in, disobedience gets you out. And we see we misunderstand the law of God. We misunderstand that his law reflects his value. In fact, God's display of power over the Egyptians revealed his ability, but it did very little to reveal his nature. And so he gives the moral law to reveal that their God that they followed was not only powerful, but he was good and could be trusted. You see, his law, especially his moral law, his commandments are things that are not binding to us, but they are freeing for us. And as he reveals those things, the law was given for one express purpose. What do the scriptures say? The law was revealed to show his nature and to also reveal how inadequate we are in ourselves. It was was given, the law was given, it was the gracious act of God to show us you can't do this. In fact, the law is going to show you you really are lost. You really need help. And then he comes back and what does it say in Ephesians chapter two? God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in trespasses. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seat us in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show what? The incomparable riches of what? His grace. Grace expressed in kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is grace that you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And what I simply want you to remember, that grace is never earned. It is always offered. Can you grab a hold of that today? Grace is never ever earned. It is always offered. It is always offered. It's free. It wasn't cheap. It was the most expensive. You know, I hear people say, I can't believe in the gospel because you're telling me it sounds too good to be true. I was like, well, you know what? It's free to you, but it definitely wasn't cheap. It wasn't too good to be true, or it is too good to be true because it cost the most expensive commodity in the world, and that was Jesus Christ's life. We live in an earned culture. Achieve. When life gets hard, the hardworking work harder. Is it any wonder that we're all so tired? We do, our do, we do our best to do better, do more, do now. And yet in face of that, Jesus is calling us to live a life that trusts in his ability and his grace. You see, if you live the earned life, you're never sure if you've done enough. I watched Michael Bloomberg the other day in an interview, and I kid you not, this is what he said, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It is not Even close. I watched him say those words, and about because of his work in helping people to stop smoking, to stop smoking, he doesn't even have to have an interview. He doesn't get what the gospel's all about anyway. I don't plan on having an interview either, but it's not because I help people stop smoking or I've been good, it's because of Jesus. And we have the ability to just get captured in this culture of work, of it's on us, and yet God, God gives grace upon grace upon grace. And I just want to remind you of that this morning. You know, grace is there for your life's circumstances, I'm going to be honest, sometimes life's journey feels like a, a funeral march sometimes. Mistakes close us in robes of mourning. Circumstances bury our dreams and desires. And on a lot of days, all we do is cry out for mercy. But God gives us more than mercy. He gives us grace. Grace for fear. Our lives are filled with uncertainty. Jobs, relationships, health, Finances, with so much hanging in the balance, fear becomes a merciless ruler. But even when troubles populate your world, they don't have to control it. Grace has the power to dethrone fear. Grace for pain and hurt. Every hurt is followed by a choice. We can get bent out of shape, or we can allow our response to be shaped by this thing called grace. Bitterness clouds our vision, it so often makes us blind to grace. But grace isn't blind. It sees the hurt fully well and chooses to see God's forgiveness even more. You know, this is grace. And it changes everything. This this is God's answer to the mess of life. Poor choices, wasted years, guilt, regret. God's response is grace, grace, grace and more grace grace upon grace he saves us he strengthens us he softens us he shapes our lives i read this story about a guy who was trying to stop he had come to jesus but he couldn't stop using profanity he couldn't stop cussing and so he uh, he found an accountability partner and um, he was accountable to him, and he made this plan that every time he cussed throughout the week, he would put five dollars in the offering plate that next Sunday for every cuss word. The first week, he put hundred bucks in. <laughs> and following weeks, he improved somewhat, but he still wasn't having success, and he was still losing money. His buddy watched him do this. And uh, he could tell that, that he was really struggling to change. He didn't have the ability or the power or the strength. And so on that fifth Sunday, before worship, his buddy walked up to him and he could tell that he had failed again. He wasn't looking too, too good. And he simply handed him a check. And that check was written out to the church and the check was signed by him. He said, here, whatever you gotta put in today, I want you to use my check. So his buddy, 80 bucks, but it wasn't his money. He put it in. Next week, same thing. And for a few weeks, his friend offered him something. And within three weeks' time, you'd have to pay a dime. Because that's what God does. He offers us grace. And when we realize what He's done, it absolutely changes our lives. He pays for our debt, our sin. And I want to remind you this morning, that's the kind of God we have. Grace upon grace. Are you weary this morning? Are you striving this morning? Would you just remember that you're not supposed to? You're supposed to rest and trust in his grace. I'm reminded of what John Ortberg says. He says this. It's like an ocean crossing an ocean. Some people try day after day to be good, to become spiritually mature. That's like taking a robot across the ocean, a rowboat. It's exhausting, it's unsuccessful. Others have tried just giving up and throwing themselves and they drift as a raft, they do nothing, but they hang on and they hope God's there. And neither approach is effective. A better image is the sailboat, which if it moves at all, it is a gift of the wind. A good sailor simply discerns where the wind is blowing and adjusts his sails accordingly. You see, working with the Holy Spirit in our life means that all we have to do is discern where is God, where is the wind, and open our sails. And he moves us to where we're supposed to be. This morning, I just want to remind you that that's the God we have, a grace upon grace upon grace. You're not using too much. You don't need to stop uh, uh, making a transaction because your account, it's not gonna ever go low. It's always replenished. Remember the words in in, uh, uh, Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. So why don't you just start tapping into the unexhaustible grace that God has always designed for you and I to use. If you're weary today, just rest in Him. If you're struggling today, just trust in Him. If you're fearful today, I don't know where you're at, but I'm telling you, He has grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And he simply invites you to trust, to rest, to open your sails, and let him move you along. Let's stand and sing this song as we finish.